you hear all these people talk and oh if i would be looking five years back and look at the situation or the place that i would be in right now or that i'm at right now and like if i would have told myself back then i wouldn't really good well i would have fucking believed it like of course i knew i was going to be successful like the only reason i'm successful is just because i didn't quit and i you know didn't cry about the things like you can only not be successful if you stop something right so there, there were hard times and like times of frustration anger anxiety and everything but like i always knew i i, I was gonna make it like of course not to this point where i'm right now because i you know i knew i would make it but it's like just a question of time welcome to ad creative a new show from pencil about the unexpected ideas that have changed the game for ddc founders and operators with a focus on actionable takeaways i'm chase moseni Thanks for joining us. Today, we get a chance to sit down with Jem Boro. He's the founder and CEO of a paid media agency named Adcubator. Jem is incredibly insightful and open about sharing his days starting off in dropshipping to his early struggles, building his agency from the ground up, and the trials and tribulations he experienced along the way. We also spend time talking about mindset, people strategy, and of course, everyone's favorite, tips and tricks on how to win on paid media. I'm ecstatic for you to get the chance to learn from him. One final thing before we jump into Jem's amazing episode. If you're looking to bring down your creative production costs, but scale up your creative testing so you can grow your business, you should talk to our team and use the Ad Creative exclusive discount. AC15 will get you 15% off and just let them know I sent you. Yes, just like a restaurant. Now, enjoy the show. Really excited to be joined today on this episode of Ad Creative with Jem Burrow. He is the CEO of Adcubator. He is partner in like 87 other agencies that are crushing it in D2C. So I'm really excited to learn about that and his strategies there. Jem, thanks for joining us. I'm really excited for people to get to learn from you today. Thank you so much for having me, Chase. Super happy to be here, even though it's a bit, well, a bit early for me. Little sleep. Uh, we're here. We made it. Yeah. Eventually. Oh, man. I was going to ask you where you like the best so far in all of your travels. But obviously, like you said, it's Indonesia is starting to pull your uh, is starting to pull your heart. So that's uh, that's great. What do you like so much about it over there? Honestly, first of all, super, super big country. I don't know if you knew, but Indonesia is like the fifth or sixth biggest country in the world, like 230, 280 million people, I think, that are living here. And you have like hundreds of hundreds of islands where it's like you can basically go explore a different part every single time, right? So even if I would be only staying in Bali, just being in Bali and like exploring all of the different parts within Bali and the entire island, like it could take me years. A friend of mine has been living here for four years so far. And, you know, he was like, there was not a single day that I've spent in Bali that was boring to me just because of the fact that, you know, you can do so many different things. It's like you have a, a very, well, pretty much an area that is like, a bit central. I wouldn't call it like city, but it's, you know, a bit more central, not like jungle. And of course you have the jungle, you have the mountains, you have like everything, like, like beaches, uh, everything. It's, it's crazy. You know, sometimes we're just driving on a motorbike and uh, we just see like random, random water buffaloes on the street, monkeys, like everything. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. That's, that's incredible. So for anyone who doesn't know what Adcubator does, like, what's the kind of uh, elevator pitch on that? And like, how did you get started doing that specifically? Elevator pitch, basically, Accubator is one of the leading Google Ads agencies spending 18 million euros a month right now. One of the biggest spenders in Europe, probably also in the world. And what we're helping is breaking plateaus for DTC brands at lower scale, middle scale, higher scale, uh, and helping them just increase 
everything from revenue to profit to higher scale to being able to spend more and just getting more of an omnichannel omni, uh, presence. So that's the elevator pitch, how I got started. My entire entrepreneurial journey started in December 2017 with actually a dropshipping store. And this is like something I'm, I'm still doing up until this day, dropshipping. But, uh, you know, like back then I was buying fake traffic on Fiverr because I didn't know what the, what the hell I was doing, right? Because you're getting thrown into this how to make money online thing on the internet. And, uh, you know, like, of course, back then, like I had YouTube, I had everything, right? But there wasn't as much information as there is right now. And it's not like, oh, I just run something on TikTok on broad and, you know, it, it works even if I rip creatives, for example. So, you know, like back then people were like, oh, wow, I just made a 40K month and I'll, you know, like dropshipping. And I was like, damn, 40K, oh, it changed my life, right? Not even having freaking 50 euros in my bank account. And now it's like, you know, like people are talking about 40K days or, or making 40K in a drop. So it's like, okay, like 40K dropshipping is like really nothing like of course it's something but it's like the the entire status quo of the entire industry in my opinion has changed so i started drop shipping failed miserably sold the store as a pre-built store for 250 in profit ventured into google ads started running google ads for other people so lead gen dentists lawyers uh, accounting companies and all that kind of stuff started running google ads for ecom for other people again and I was like, damn, I can make it work. So why should I try again to make it work for myself? You know, so start Google Ads back on, uh, start running all of these other media buying channels, Facebook ads, Pinterest ads, TikTok and Snapchat 2020 uh, with the help of a few friends. So shout out to Julian and Chris right here because uh, they got me started in Snapchat and Pinterest back then. Yeah, that's that's basically the story, how I got started. So basically main focus, DTC brands, I still have like my, my very first client actually from 2018 in August, which is a dentist. Pretty good retention, I'd say. So you have some of the OG clients. Has that been like a concerted effort on your end to say like, look, this is the person I started with? Because I know a lot of people, once they start scaling, they sunset some of the smaller accounts and say like, look, this is small potatoes. But you say, hey, this is my OG person who believed in me. I want to give them service. Is that kind of where that comes from? Kind of. I mean, at the end of the day, it also makes me money because it's not like, oh, I was charging like yeah. eight euros an account. So I'm, I'm making money. I'm not, I'm not making the biggest money, but I'm making profit. You know, it's like great to see because like, I, I don't think barely anyone can say, okay, you know, I've been managing this account for like four years. So it's a flex. <laughs> yeah, total, total flex, total flex. So like you said, you've been at this since, you know, 2017, starting the dropshipping store. Like where... The idea to start into entrepreneurship, was that something that you always felt was going to be part of your journey or was it something that you kind of like fell into or were you kind of driven to do that always? Like, Where does that come from specifically? Definitely. I mean, you hear all these people talk and, oh, if I would be looking five years back and look at the situation or the place that I would be in right now or that I'm at right now. And like, if I would have told myself back then, I wouldn't believe it. Well, I would have fucking believed it. Like, of course, I knew I was going to be successful. Like, the only reason I'm successful is just because I didn't quit and I didn't cry about the things like you can only not be successful if you stop something, you know, there were hard times and like times of frustration, anger, anxiety, and everything. But like, I always knew I, I, I was going to make it like, of course, not, not to this point where I'm right now. Cause I, I knew I would make it, but it's like just a question of time. So yeah, it's interesting. There's a book called winning by Tim Grover, who, who, um, he trained Kobe and, uh, Dwayne Wade and Michael Jordan 
he talks about kind of like the through line of this. So Ron from Obvi suggested I read it. So I checked it out. Essentially, one of the the big ones is is that every single person that he trained had a supreme faith that they were going to be successful and that they could be successful. He didn't say that that came from an arrogance of, I don't need to put in the work to be successful. It's just kind of, hey, I know, I believe in myself and my talent. I know that to be the person that I want to be in this kind of sphere, I need to be relentless with the work that I put in to be a winner. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's kind of one thing that I'm, I'm taking from this specifically is I wanted to always be an entrepreneur. I knew that I was going to win. I didn't know when, but or to the level of the success. Like I didn't know what the, the floor of the success was going to look like at age 24, but the hard work and kind of determination and, and willingness to deal with the shit. I think this is something like time and time again, you see when people like get frustrated or their business doesn't go to the next level. It really does come down to kind of what they're willing to put up with and what they're willing to push through. Is that something that you always had even, you know, as a kid or is it something that you picked up over time and said some, for instance, some seminal moment. So I can talk, I have a few seminal moments where like, oh man, the light bulb went off in my life. And I was like, oh shit, this is the thing that's going to take me to the next level. What is that for you? Have you always kind of said like, I know that I'm going to win. It's just a matter of doing the work. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, you, you can kind of always sweet talk. Yeah, yeah, of course, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. You know, you, you can always be very, very optimistic with everything. You know, like, this is kind of way how I how I made it through school and every exams. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, my, I've made it this far. <laughs> Might as well. This is like how I was in uni. Uh, like up to this day, I'm actually still enrolled. I haven't finished everything. Pretty much almost done. But now it's like, you know, like why the fuck would I do it? But, you know, also in uni, like, I don't know if you had that as well, where it's like you write an exam, you know, and it's like you're progressing, you're progressing. Like some exams are like, oh, shit, like barely made it. But like, I'm, I'm still here, you know, and then you look back at all of the shit that you had to deal with. And it's like, whoa, like I've, I've come far away. So I think back then it was more like optimism, being like optimistic about like, oh, yeah, yeah of course, you know, and a bit naive. Definitely 100 percent. I wouldn't neglect that. But, you know, more so there were like these so-called light bulb moments that you've just mentioned where, you know, you have like yeah, pretty much a core memory on something or like a thing that has happened where it's like, wow. And you have this realization where it's like, maybe I should change something. Maybe I should do something about it. Maybe I should uh, remove that. Maybe I should add that. Definitely. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's interesting kind of thinking about how the things in your life, how they impact you. I'm curious kind of, in this journey of the last you know, four or five years doing this for yourself and then for people specifically, what's been hard that you didn't expect and kind of what are the strategies you've used to get through those things? Uh, whew, good question. First of all, motivation is not like a thing that is going to be consistent with you. It's not about being motivated. And I mean, if you're motivated, of course, nice, amazing, you know, things are going to be better, but you have to be consistent with everything that you're doing because it's at the end of the day, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest, compound effect, great book. So, you know, you, you got to still push through these times where you're not motivated because success doesn't come in one day, right? It's kind of like with everything that you're doing. It's like you go to the gym and like, what do you expect? Like to have a freaking six pack in after a week? Like, of course not. You got to put in the work, got to put in the nutrition, got to have some right sleep. Then you can gradually see the changes, right? And this is like why it's always amazing to see all these people on YouTube or TikTok, whatever, like taking progression pictures, like day one, day two, day three, 
kind of like in a time loop, you know, or even whatever, if you have these pictures where people are like, okay, this is like me from age 16 to 24. And every day they take a picture and it's like, damn, you can like actually see them grow a beard and everything. Right. And of course that stuff doesn't come in a day. So first of all, having that on the back of your head and just knowing that you have to show up no matter what is going to come, like, of course, there are things where you can retract a bit and, you know, take it a bit slower, but you got to have your vision on top of your head. It's kind of like today, you know, slept like, well, a bit more than four hours. So felt super groggy this morning. And I was like, damn, I have this podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." You know, something that I do after or like something that my assistant did was schedule a massage for right after this podcast. So I'm like, okay, like I could technically go back to sleep, but like, why would I have a massage and then I'll be awake anyways, and then I can just go with the flow. So first of all, I think being consistent has helped. Talking to people, talking to friends, especially about these darker times has helped. And of course, like seeing the progression, just like keeping track of everything, right? Like it's not only about keeping track or taking KPIs of of the media buying side of things like, okay. What is the month-to-date revenue? What is the what is the last year's revenue? What about the profit? What about the margins? What about everything? Are you trying to negotiate the cards? Are you getting better pricing? All that kind of stuff, right? Because at the end of the day, you can only grow if you measure. You can't improve if, if you don't measure. Of course, like you can grow, but like only up onto a certain scale. And that certain scale is not interesting to me because like why would I be trying to like do some random shit that I can't even measure or like not even measuring? You know, so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing good, but how good am I doing or how bad am I doing? Because only if I know where I suck at, I can actually put in the work or like have someone put in the work for me and then gradually become better. So this is like one big thing that it's not only about measuring KPIs with ads and everything, but like I'm a super data-driven person, like super nerd uh, when it comes to, to everything, like whether it is sleep, meditation, so I want to talk about being a nerd on sleep. I have a, a funny one about this with my whoop and uh, how I've I started to have a negative relationship with things because I'm getting so competitive with myself about, about my sleep scores. But I, I think something you just said is like, you can't grow if you don't measure is really interesting. So like we were talking about this at you know, Pencil the other day. So you're like, okay, so we're doing this and it's like a brand marketing effort. And there is no real way to measure it completely. Like there is a correlation study we can do, but we're making some big pushes on that side. But essentially you can feel the difference, right? So you can do the post-purchase surveys, but like the completion rate is 40%. And then you're essentially saying like, hey, I've got a, I'm extrapolating the data, which there's a lot of leakage from that in general anyway. And it feels like if you can be so data-driven on everything else, it feels kind of, wishy-washy to say like, oh, but we'll just take less than half of the amount of data and say, okay. But I guess in a world where you have a bunch of data, but also there is just no way of completely being able to trust anything, no matter what service you're running with, etc. How do you feel like comfortable in general? Because I think that measure to grow is like a such an important thing on anything, by the way, right? Yeah. Let's just, for instance, use a stock portfolio last year what did it look like versus this year and so obviously it's been it's been kind of shitty the last few months but essentially like have you increased your holdings have you kind of like what does that look like have you done a good job essentially like changing around what you're invested in have you de-risked yourself like from the volatility blah 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 what does that look like that's growth my brother and i were texting about it today like hey what are you in what's this like should we try this blah 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 
How do you feel like you can measure some of the unmeasurable things and feel like you're growing? Because like, it's impossible to get kind of 100% coverage on everything. I always feel like if I can get 80% of the coverage on this stuff, I feel pretty good about where we're at. What do you think on that? So of course, like it's, it's, it's hard to make data-driven based decisions when it's not only about data. Let's talk about stuff like relationship or anything, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not about data. Like, of course, to some extent, but like, I don't, I don't want to be a nerd and say, okay, like, you need to write down everything, you know? Like, I'm not that type of person. I'm just, yeah. you know, I, I just like to make decisions based on information that I have. And like, being super analytical means sometimes being a bit reserved and just observing the entire situation, right? So let me give you an example when it comes to, to media buying. Let's say we have, as you said, post-purchase survey set up, 40% tracking. And we're spending the same amount of money on every channel. So let's say we're spending the same amount on Facebook, TikTok, Google. And uh, for some reason, let's say Triple Whale doesn't track 100%. Let's say they have a glitch in their thing. For example, not trying to paint the devil on the wall. Triple Whale, amazing tool. I use it myself for everything that I'm running. I'm recommending it to everyone. Let's say you are increasing the ad spend on Google. And let's say you see growth. And for some reason, again, this book doesn't really attribute. Whatever. And you increase the ad spend, you increase the ad spend, you increase the ad spend. And you're seeing growth in your store. You're seeing more orders. You're seeing more revenues. You're seeing the conversion rate go up. And generally speaking, on anything that is paid search on Google, the conversion rate tends to be way higher just because it's intent traffic and not pull-based traffic, you know, push versus pull marketing, basically. And of course, like if you can track that, you can make assumptions based on the things that you are seeing and, and based on certain correlations, as you've already said before. I'm raising my ad spend, my revenue is going higher. Well, is my revenue going higher because I'm increasing the ad spend on Google? Or is it because everything is a bit more blended and therefore the retargeting sizes on Facebook and TikTok are increasing? You know, just like something to consider. So this is like probably an example of how I would describe it the best. It's, you know, like sometimes there are things where you can't measure, which is totally fine. But then it's like, what are the things that I look at? Where can I maybe make a correlation? Where can I isolate a variable to create a valid split test or a valid hypothesis and like make an assumption on if this change has been causing something, yes or no? Simple as that. That's great. I think it's um it's really important for people to note essentially like there's always a way to figure things out for your business specifically. You just have to be willing to, like, this is kind of my big thing with everyone. If you're looking for 100% certainty, don't get into business. Like, you should obviously have all of the things. So, like, you want to have your cogs in place, you want to have your supply chain, all, all of these things in place. Look at all what's happened with supply chain over the last year and a half. Like, it's just completely fucked. No one expected that kind of thing to happen. It happened, you deal with it, you move on, you figure out new ways. And guess what? When it gets solved, Pricing is going to get better and your margins will get better and everyone's business will feel like everyone's going to be happy days, you know, because they essentially got better at doing their business because they were pushed, right? And I think this is, I was talking to someone yesterday about this. I don't know how you feel, but essentially all the mediocre to bad businesses that were able to kind of escape the wrath of the markets from say 2015 to 2021 are just getting crushed over the last year or so. And it's like, it's a meritocracy, Right. Only the good, great businesses who have really done a good job of essentially figuring out the finance portion of their business, whether it's marketing spend, 
how they're kind of like working with their cash flow with, you know, their suppliers, et cetera, those businesses are thriving. So it's kind of to what you said, you need to be dialed in on what your hypotheses are around how you're going to run your business and just kind of keep testing to find new ways to uh, deliver value to your customers and yourself, really. Exactly. I don't think when it comes to these things, you should be scared to maybe like try something new or try something that is not proven at all. Yeah. Because uh, if you're looking at the creatives, you know, something that has been super hot past few, I wouldn't say past few years, probably like since last year, uh, AGC, I don't really have heard anyone talk about AGC, but it's like the super big thing and people know about it, of course, but like, like personally, I haven't heard anyone talk at, at ad world, affiliate world about AGC. So it's like, don't be afraid to be, to be the first mover and, and move into a blue ocean. Because if you're making the right step, you're going to be definitely rewarded. Yeah. It doesn't always mean that you have to carry a shit ton of risk in order to do that. You know, sometimes it's just about allocating resources and, you know, capital sometimes, of course, probably more often than uh, than it requires just like human capital, you know, but the trade-off that you have there is is huge. So don't always try and be like general advice. Don't always try and be so negative towards things or like so pessimistic. Mm. Definitely good to just be neutral sometimes and realistic towards some things unless you have like you know a lot of testimonials from your friends like oh don't do this don't do this don't do this and you know you talk to them and, and it actually makes sense what they're saying and it's not like like sometimes when i have an idea on top of my head of course like, like no matter how stupid the idea might be i sometimes still test it and uh, i've probably failed more times than i've succeeded <laughs> like 95 percent of the times like the these five percent that sometimes work they work amazing, you know, and these are like tiny tips and tracks those media bars yeah. have, I'd say. I mean, I think the thing that I try to get across to everyone who doesn't come from like the world of growth is to find the 5% of things that work that are meaningful to your business that change the complexion of your outcomes. You got to test 100 things, right? So test, you know, at Pencil, we always say test 10 ads to find one ad that's going to be really meaningful for you yeah. in terms of like profit generation. And so I have a, lots and lots of data to back this up. And essentially, it comes down to how quickly are you going to test 10? And Pencil is a like a lubricant to be able to do that I and mean, move the train across more quickly. But if you're not willing to test, you're not going to be able to find new things. I think... One thing I find a lot of times is being thoughtful and like thoughtful about how you spend your money and being risk averse are two completely different things, right? Being thoughtful, everyone should be thoughtful, right? It's not my money, it's your money. It's not my bank account, it's your bank account. I'm not gonna, I should never tell you how to spend your money. I can give you advice on how it works, what I think, but at the end of the day, you've got to click the button and pull the trigger or hire the agency, whatever. The opposite side is being risk averse, which is saying like, I'm not going to ever try to find new things. I'm only going to do things that I know have worked for other people. The problem is you're always in the middle to the end of a cycle of things working. So things are going to be more expensive. You're going to have more competition. You're going to have to be way better, but you haven't allocated resources to be better. So essentially like cart versus the horse. So say you come at the end, you're being risk averse. Well, you're going to have to spend a shitload more capital to make amazing ads to be able to compete with all these people who are already in the game, they know what they're doing, they've done all the experiments you haven't done, 
And you're still going to be experimenting, but you just have maybe better creative resourcing that you're using versus saying, hey, look, we're going to go and test stuff and, and try to figure out new ways based on some strategies that essentially give us access to better CPMs, if you will. So we just get more, the more the ads serve to more people. Or we're going to use, like you said, AGC, and it's going to give us access to a new strategy. So yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's dead on. So I have a question for you. You started your business uh, both drop shipping and then the agency four or five years ago. What was the thing that you felt like changed the trajectory? Because like we said, there's these light bulb moments and there's these moments where you're like, well, fuck, this is actually going to work. Uh, what I'm doing is working. What thing in terms of the way that you run things or a strategy that you employed kind of felt like, okay, this is the moment? <laughs> many, many, many things. I'd say the most basic one, but yet the, the biggest game changer was not trying to be perfectionistic about things. I don't know why, but like I have a super perfectionistic personality where I'm like, oh, everything needs to be done 100%. And if it doesn't look right, formatting is off of the text. We can't launch it. And then, you know, it's, it's not good enough and we need to change it, fix it. And then you get delays and other things you don't align with that need to be changed. So. That was the biggest game changer in my business. I wouldn't say I've stepped away 100% from it. I've stepped away very, very far from it, taken a few meters uh, distance, definitely. So like being able to just getting shit actually done as opposed to overcomplicating it and being like, hey, we need this, we need this, we need this. That's a bit hard. So uh, my one business partner, Brandon, has helped me a lot there because he actually used to be the person who always just like got shit done and went like rogue and everything. And I was like the other person. So it's like a very good mix that we have. Now it's like I'm moving more towards his level of, of just saying, fuck it and let's do it. That makes sense. That is probably the biggest thing. If I would have to think about more things, what really like changed the trajectory. I wouldn't say it's big moments, but like I always used to think, when I started Facebook ads 2018, wow, you need to choose interest, blah, blah, blah. The freaking creative does the targeting. It's not about the interest that you choose. No one gives a frick about the interest because at the end of the day, only the people who are interested in your creatives are going to watch. And uh, that way you're generating actually clicks that make sense to your website who will actually convert. It's the same with Google, right? We can We can talk about this if we'd say that we're only taking keywords where people have like a huge problem, right? If we're talking about at dog bats, like problem that dogs have, anxiety, you know, and, and the bed needs to be calming. So this is like an angle that you could use. Anxiety dog bed, anti-anxiety dog bed, calming, calming dog bed, fluffy dog bed. And of course, the intent that you have with this keyword, and of course, because the search volume is the highest, you're going to be able to get the most amount of purchases there the highest conversion rate and the most high intent clicks, right? So this is like one of the things where it was just like overcomplicating, talking to like hundreds of people over over the course of like two years from 2018 to 2020, like talking to people like, mm, how do you run Facebook ads? How do you run Facebook ads? Oh yeah, I do CBO, I do ABO, I do five ad sets, I do seven ad sets at a $3 budget, at a $15 budget. It doesn't fucking matter what the fuck you're doing. If it works, it works. Fuck it, I'm just launching what I'm doing right now, ABO, one or two ad sets, one is broad, one has an interest. It doesn't matter. The creative does all of the heavy lifting, you know? The only thing that an interest does it, it allows you to be in another pocket inside of Facebook ads. So you might be able to get lucky and get a few purchases from there. So I'm not saying don't do interest at all. If it works, it works. But uh, I'm not saying they're 
like what I'm trying to say is that they are not mandatory. You can just keep everything on broad. I have a friend of mine spent like 80 million euros last year on Facebook, 23 year old guy, freaking crazy. And that was like when Euro was still worth like 1.18 US dollars. So pretty much like hundred million dollars that he spent last year on Facebook ads. And he was 22 at that point in time or like turned 22 middle of the year, freaking crazy guy. The way he structures his shit, you know, ABO, CBO, whatever. Uh, or no, I think he does CBO if he has like two, three ad sets. Um, but just because the scale is like so freaking big. So one ad set broad, one in, one, one ad set, some random interest stack, and then one lookalike stack. But I think he like steered away a lot of that because last time I've seen an ad account was like a year ago in August or July last year. So I'm pretty sure that the things that he does is like 99% broad. So yeah, this is like light bulb moments. You know, lead with kindness because I'm still figuring it out. Yeah, of course, man. We're all doing that. Yeah, definitely. It's not like we've been here for like years. It's it's kind of like I threw myself into a leadership position now. Like I have to learn how to deal with this shit. It's like, yeah, you know, deep down inside, I, I still feel like like a kid who's just trying to figure it all out. Right? It's like, oh, damn, come up, come a long way. Huh? <laughs> so first of all, thanks for sharing all of that in terms of like the tactics and and like the thoughtfulness around that. I, I think. Um, we all we believe creative is targeting on on our side. I think on on the interest based thing, the way I always tell people is like you're essentially asking Facebook to how big is the neighborhood or city within their algorithm that you're able to to engage with. So you go with the interest. You have a few neighborhoods. You go broad. They're still going to put you in a neighborhood. It's just going to be a bigger one, right? Because they just go and find what pocket of people are interested in your product, and then they go there and they serve because. I always tell people like, dude, broad is not broad, right? It's like you go and look at frequency versus impress. Like it starts becoming like, oh, they found a pocket of really efficient people right now. And then you launch a new one and they're going to go and look again and again. And that's kind of the magic of the algorithm is it's going and finding you efficient customers as much as possible. But yeah, I, I totally agree on all of that. In terms of leading with kindness and leadership, I'm, I'm super interested in um, like this because there's thousands of books on this, right? leadership, how you lead a team, how you build rapport, how you build a culture, remote culture, how do you do these things? And there's a cottage industry of people who teach you how to do this, right? So I don't want to say any of it's crap. There's a lot of incredible information out there, but it's all theory because they're not with you with your individual person that you're dealing with and their problems and their challenges. And so my whole point on, on bringing that up is there's theory and then there's practice like anything in business. Yeah. How have you felt like you've been able to essentially learn from those things? Because you said you're like, if you're a perfectionist, you want to essentially lead with kindness and deliver the best experience to your employees and people you partner with, etc. But you also, for instance, have a control of an ad account, right? And then you leave it up to the algorithm gods after you run things. It's kind of the same thing with a person, right? You can just do your best. And then it's kind of up to them and what's going on with them. And you can't always control kind of their life. It's off, it's, it's up to them, etc. So how's that been a learning experience for you? And what's been, I don't know, the most interesting thing you've learned about like growing a team and leading a team during this experience as you've kind of built this and, and learned about yourself, you know? I mean, again, not a 45-year-old person. So you're learning and growing yourself while you're growing a team. How has that been for you? So first of all, it's, it's hard. It's a process. I feel like I'm getting very, very, very good at this. Just because right now I'm not only leading my own companies, but also because I'm investing like shit ton of other companies and I'm talking to the CEO and COO and, you know, like talking to them about hiring company culture, especially if it's remote and there is no office or like, 
you know, there's like a small team beforehand in a city such as Hamburg and the rest is like fully remote. So it's like, how do we, how do we get a hold of a really good culture where everyone feels encouraged to work, where everyone has ownership of their tasks, you know, where people are not playing counter-strike while they're working, which are like things that have happened. But, you know, like how, how do I hire the right people? Like, how am I able to trust the people that I hire? Like, first of all, if you're, if you're hiring someone, and you don't trust them, you, you know, bad hire, you should be able to trust them. So basically how I got started off was freelancing people and like contractors, right? So I wasn't employing anyone full time, 40 hours. Sorry with customer support, because that's like the most important thing in dropshipping, I'd say. If you have shitty customer support, you're going to get your payment processors banned. And of course, like, you could argue, like, what is the most important thing, blah, blah, blah. But, like, without customer support, nothing is going to work. Same with logistics, logistics, but uh, customer support, like, number one thing. Eventually started, like, to outsource completely to customer support reps, you know, and, and not only have them on my payroll, like, part-time, but also, like, full-time. And they were, like, spread around all of the Philippines, hired through uh, onlinejobs.ph, so, like, a, a website dedicated for people in the Philippines. And what we've done is basically have them work there and basically, okay, I've, I've worked already with a guy who's been dropshipping and I have this experience, blah, blah, blah. And I figured, damn, actually, it's quite nice to have someone that you can hire who has way more experience in a field that you have. Because like, at the end of the day, someone there should be the manager of the other people. Someone should be the team lead of the entire team and they should be able to lead the team. Someone should be perhaps be C-level and take care of all of the people in the, in the organizational chart below them. And that's not going to happen until, until they work with you, they learn, until they have experience, yada, yada, yada. At the end of the day, I started with people there. They had a lot of experience, so it wasn't like I'm throwing them into cold water. But it kind of seemed to me like, oh, you know, like, like they're actually the ones commanding me. So they were like, oh, yeah, we use Zendesk or Freshdesk. I have the most experience with Zendesk. Okay, cool. <laughs> got Zendesk. You know, it's not like I made the decision there, but they told me that like what they have, what they've used before, what they're feeling the most comfortable with and what they feel like is the most user-friendly software for them. So I was like, Zendesk, sure, let's go. Create macros. You know, I was, I was basically just brainstorming all of these scenarios. Uh, my, my package is late. I came broken, wrong skew, wrong size, wrong color. Like basically like thinking about all of the things that could happen when a customer could complain, right? Wrote up some macros and everything. They replied. They got used to the to the scenarios. And whenever they, there was something slack, things are super super important. It's first of all, transparency, flat communication, and not losing any of that information. Because if you're using different tools for for the same communication, first of all, you're going to lose the communication. Every team that I have, and every Slack workspace that I have, and I think it's like eleven right now. We only communicate within threads. So we have like an entire Slack etiquette, just like how to write a message, what info you need to include, like who you need to tag. And it's not like, oh, you're getting you're getting fired if you don't do it. But like people are taking it seriously, right? And they're like, they're stating their entire query just to cut down the entire communication times. Because if we don't have that, I need to ping them, I need to ask. And then, you know, next thing you know, we have like 80 different messages within Slack, pushing down everything else. So we just have one message with the main query. We immediately know what is going to happen. Thread, answer, boom, in like a few messages. That being said, that was like the first thing remote. Hiring people in-house was an entire different thing because, you know, you start to have in-person job interviews and the salary expectations were like totally different. 
Because again, I was born and raised in Germany, and it's not like I'm paying some guy in the Philippines like three, four, five, six dollars, perhaps even two dollars an hour. Because you know what they're what they're earning in the hospitals, crazy. Like even the staff that we have here in Indonesia, we have like five staff. And we're paying them up around like two to three hundred, and we're always giving them tips and everything. But like they're super happy with what they're doing, and they feel well respected. It's not like I, I feel like I'm something better than them. It's like they are my friends and they and they help me to to run this entire freaking house, you know? So it's like a nice thing to have. That is like one of the most important things that only because you are the founder, only because maybe you are the CEO or whatever position you're in as a founder, it doesn't entitle you to be a fucking dickhead or an asshole to someone else that you're managing, you know, just because you're paying their salary. And initially, you know, like hired people and then couldn't really separate the things so couldn't separate work and friendship. And that was hard because like, it was mainly about work. And of course, like also friendship, but it wasn't like a clear cut. And this was when I, when I actually realized like, fuck, like these are my friends. Like it's not like, like it's not like I hired friends, but like they, these are like people who, are, who applied, who are strangers, who turn into friends, you know, because we have a great freaking culture and all of the companies that we have. We never had one person quit because of how unhappy they were. Not once, not a single time. Maybe just because... You know, they wanted some more experience. We've had people who wanted to be self-employed and, and I support that. You know, it's not like, oh, dickhead, go away. Of course, like they've, they've served me and they've done an amazing job. So why wouldn't I empower them and help them to get, you know, going? Basically, like after realizing that I have to split these two things, so work and friendship, I was like, okay, fuck. Like I can't make jokes about, ha ha, I will fire you, ha ha, I will cut your salary, ha ha. You know, like even if it's a joke, that shit is toxic. Like I can't do that. I can't make a joke about the livelihood of someone who's working their ass off for me. And uh, this is something I've realized, thankfully, quite early on, because it's such a bad character trait. I was like, like, you know, haha, okay, it's funny, but like, if this shit comes up like, regularly, it's not good. So this is like, definitely a good thing that I noticed. But like, moving forward, very clear cuts between friendship and work. In the office, in Germany, what we're doing is still like, People like love to stay freaking longer and work and just like get their shit done just because they're so involved with everything, right? And even after work, they're like sitting in the office or playing like PlayStation, whatever, getting food together, going to the bar, heading for drinks, whatever. So it's like I, I wouldn't say this is like the only friends that they have, but I would say it's it's like a great circle to be in because all of the thing things, all of the people are kind of like on a on the same vibe, on the same level. So it's like a very great relationship that we have. So this is like Everything going from, you know, hiring people overseas, hiring people in-house mistakes. Did I miss anything? I think that's pretty much it. That's great. I think it's, um, if I'm summing it up, it's, first of all, having a structured way to communicate with people that's transparent and efficient so that they know kind of where they're sitting, understanding kind of like the dividing line. If, if you're in leadership or running something, you need to, there's a certain way you need to act to be able to kind of deliver value to people. Again, like, like you said, don't make fun, like don't joke around about people's livelihoods because, you know, you don't want toxic environments. And then the last one is like, when you set a great culture, people actually end up wanting to do more work and spend more time with people. And it, I think it comes back to that thing you said. Which is like, yeah, they take ownership. And so I think that leading with kindness can really do that because essentially if they see how dedicated you are and you're kind to them and you give them extreme ownership of things, they're going to want to deliver for you and themselves. Like, I think a great mentor can help you want to deliver for yourself and them. And one thing I think is like a complete misnomer. So it's like, I work hard for my family. 
It's like, dude, you work hard for yourself, okay? Like, your family is the beneficiary of you working hard, but like, come on. Uh, you're not sitting there, like, hustling to build something and, and do that to not, I don't know, be happy about it and say, like, look, this is a cool thing that I built. I'm very proud of myself. There's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Um, I think, like, we give people too much shit for saying, like, look, I have built this. It's great. I think people misconception of the one thing being flexing and just bragging and the other thing is just being proud of oneself you know i mean a very very hard and hardcore comparison that you could make is like taking pride in the country that you're from and then being like right-winged for example oh 100 man 100 it's funny so I'm, I'm persian so i always tell people like i'm very proud of being persian i don't like everything going on over there but like i'm proud of my culture and the people and it's an amazing place etc yeah same thing you know, being american uh, there's not a lot of shitty stuff going on over here but i also think like wow this is amazing <laughs> amazing place my dad always says he's like man every time i come home to uh the states i'm like i kiss the ground like wow what an amazing place i'm uh, you know blessed to live in same thing you're talking about bali right it's like such an amazing incredible place to be visiting so i think that was a really amazing kind of summation of hiring and your thoughts on leadership. I always move to a thing I call anti-rapid fire because they're like more long-winded questions. So this is uh, the last little bit. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Whoa, that's a hard one. <laughs> I have one, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a piece of advice. It's more like something that someone has said to me mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, like everything changed from being so transactional to actually like, whoa, I trust you. Like, whatever you're doing, I trust you. I was like, damn. It's kind of like when you're hanging out with friends, you fuck up big time, and, and you know, they're not mad, but they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm just disappointed, you know? <laughs> 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 you know? Like, it was like, okay, they're mad, you know, they're, they're going to cool down. Like, it's not disappointing, you fucked up big time. But, like, this one thing is like, it kind of, like, goes back to if someone says, yo, I trust you. It's kind of like believe in yourself and believe in everything that you're doing. Because like, you know, there's like someone that no one can take from you. No one can take your hard work. No one can take the thoughts that you have. No one can take your mind. And, you know, whenever I'm saying the term broke, I'm not talking about money. I'm just talking about like what you have going on inside here. Right. And this is like something that no one can take you. So try to feed. Feed the beast. Yeah, absolutely. I always talk about like I tell people to allocate a lot of money to um every year to education um and and connecting with people as much as possible it's like the best best thing you can possibly do i mean this podcast is like a is like a just a free master class every time i record i sit back and i'm like hey so tell me how do you think about uh hiring I'm like oh okay steal from gem steal from gem steal from gem so yeah i think uh totally dead on love that what's the skill that served you best in life being able to put my ego aside and learn from other people who are not only above me, but on the same stage that I am and uh, on a lower stage that I am monetary-wise. That's great. I think uh, probably the number one thing anyone can do is check the ego. By the way, the, having a healthy slice of ego actually isn't a bad thing. It's knowing how to modulate it so that you can take in information properly because every person in the world has something that you can learn from them. Every person. It might not be just business specific. It might be about life. It might be about, who knows, right? I went, I remember one time I was uh, in, a, in like a market in um, China a long time ago. I was watching this guy cook. 
And I was just watching how thoughtful he was with how like these little things. It's like this little back alley place in a market. It was like a wasn't anything. But just seeing how thoughtful he was being, I was like, shit, man, if that's like what he's doing for this little food that he's gonna serve somebody, like that's how thoughtful you have to be about everything. And like one of those just moments. So everyone can teach you something. The last question, if 2022 gem could go back to 2017 gem and essentially say like, hey, buy, buy Bitcoin or you know, some, something like that. What, how would you, what information would you give yourself to say, hey, you should think about these things? Because like, not like financial tips or anything, but just think about these things and it will help you start out in a better, more sound way. Like you're going to undoubtedly run into your own challenges, but like don't do this stuff to deal with some of the shit that I had to deal with. Yeah, it wouldn't have been buy Bitcoin because you can't buy Bitcoin if you have no freaking money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, More so be, first of all, don't be complacent. So like don't settle because like if you want to go somewhere, you just need to work for it. So don't be complacent. Don't waste your time. I'm not saying cut off all the noise. You know, again, 80-20, you can watch Netflix, you can you can meet up with your friends, but it's it's about a good relationship with that. I'm going out, I'm, I'm drinking with my friends, you know, that doesn't mean I do it every day. Yeah, a healthy relationship, I'd say. So first of all, that, no complacency, because comfort breeds complacency. And if you're comfortable where you're at right now, you know, you're, you're not going to achieve to anything because you're like, oh yeah, this is chill. You know, I live my life, you know, hang out, make like three, four K a month show on my couch, watch Netflix. Okay. You know, that's fine. And like, there's nothing wrong about that. But like when you're on your death's bed, you shouldn't be regretting that because if you're comfortable, great, amazing. No one, not everyone has to be an entrepreneur. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being, with being employed somewhere. You know, don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's an amazing thing. It gives you stability and everything like pros and cons, you know, just like with everything, there's a good, the good, the bad, the ugly, just with entrepreneurship. So first of all, uh, comfort breeds complacency, number one. And number two would be probably go very hardcore on learning one skill that can make you a fuck ton of money. Whether that is uh, Facebook ads, creative strategy, Google ads, whatever. Like focus on something that you can learn where you can make like five to 10 Gs a month just freelancing and start building an agency from that or, you know, whatever you want to do. But this is like how I got started. That's kick-ass. I think... uh... Don't be complacent and learn a skill that can uh, has a huge upside. And then also, like you said, invest in your learning, essentially like a perfect flywheel for yourself because they all beget, like one flows into another, flows into another, and good things happen from there. And if you start an agency uh, or like have a company that deals with like high-end people, your personal network effect will be a huge boon to you as well. You'll meet just amazing people and great things happen from being around smart people who are kind of thinking the same way you do. So, man, this was this was kick-ass. I really appreciate your time. Everyone is like super lucky to get the chance to learn from you. So thank you for doing it. Thank you so much for having me, Chase. It was a pleasure. It was fun. Yeah, this was this was a blast. How should uh people follow you on uh LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, what's what's your favorite channel for people to kind of connect with you? Uh, I'm just going to plug all three. So full name, how you write it out. Yeah. Jem Boro, J-E-M, first name, last name, B-O-U-R-O-U-H. And this is how you can find me on LinkedIn and on Instagram. So Instagram is just J-E-M-B-O-U-R-O-U-H. If you want to have the Twitter, it's the same, but you just add A-D-E. 
at the end. Deutschland. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, love that. Well, Jem, we have to we have to do it again. Maybe next time we can go like full just strategy session next time about build about building. I was thinking about that. Yeah, like I think that would be pretty kick ass. Yeah, let's do it. We started getting into it, and then we we're like, we go, oh, let's think about personal things a little bit. I think next time we need to just be fucking mercenaries and go full strategy. We're not even going to say hello. It's just going to be kind of just strategy session. Facebook ads. <laughs> yeah, Facebook ads go. I don't even know your name. Just tell me what's what's what. But yeah, th- this was a blast. Also, I'm going to be telling my wife about my new strategy on on meetings, where I'm going to be having a masseuse come over and. Fin- like give me yeah great she's already <laughs> that's the post meeting experience that everyone needs well yeah let's definitely do this again uh thanks and um yeah this was this was a blast thanks so much for having me chase pleasure thanks man pleasure thanks for listening to this episode of ad creative from pencil we hope you enjoyed our chat and learned a thing or two that can help you grow your business and think more creatively if you have someone you think we should interview just hit me up on twitter also a small favor If you could please share and review this, we want our guests' amazing insights to reach as much of the community as possible. And your ratings help. Until next time, add some creativity into your life. Thanks.